The Yesterday and Today podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun compilation of chronological source materials as they pertain to the Beatles. This show is in no way affiliated with Apple Corps, nor any organization connected to John, Paul, George, or Ringo in any way, though we do consider ourselves premier members of the Bungalow Bill fan club. So kick back, turn off your mind, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yesterday and Today, 1974, Part 4. In this episode, we will cover June 30th through July 20th. It's the end of June, and in New York City at Record Plant East, John continued to record his new album with musicians he named the Plastic Ono Nuclear Band. Keltner on drums, Klaus Vorman on bass, uh, Nicky Hopkins on piano, also Ken Asher on keyboards. He was on Mind Game, Asher. Uh, let me think. Oh, Jesse Ed Davis on guitar. He used to be with Taj Mahal. Uh, they're all people I've worked with before, one way or the other, uh, except for Arthur Jenkins is new, who's a percussionist, fantastic percussionist. Uh, there's Bobby Keys, Howard Johnson, uh, Steve Madeo and two other fellows who I can't think offhand, Frank and somebody else who were on horns. I had a weird horn section, five pieces, and uh, and of course the the orchestra. Okay, hold it, hold it. Don't go. We're having enough trouble, you know, just keeping the rhythm without. And I don't want anything other than strict four in the bar unless it's written. The jumps on the letter A's and the breaks. Yeah, I do want them. I just don't want any fills from the guitars or anybody. Just play what you were playing and no da-da-doom or chuck-a-da-da and stick a dee We have enough of that going on. All right. Just hold it to four and a... Six. Six. Take six. Two. This is it. One, two, three, four. Got to get down, down on my knees. Got to get down. You know I'm drowning in a sea of hatred 
said Got to get down Down on my knees Got to get down Down on my Another song John worked on was a song called Whatever Gets You Through the Night. Here's May Pang. Whatever Gets You Through the Night was, um, it was a funny bit. You know, it was, he loved to watch cable. It just come into play on television. And he's a, he's a TV fanatic. So he used to press all the buttons and everything and just go through stations. So at night, he'd just be watching everything. Um, and at one point, he sees Reverend Ike, and, you know, and he's out there screaming, you know, and he loved watching and hearing him, and apparently he just turned around and he says, listen to this guy, listen to this guy, and he goes, it's whatever gets you through the night, man, you know, you gotta do it, and John says, oh, that's a good line, so he, which he always had his um, pen and pad sitting by the bed, and he just brought it down, and he started writing the line, and just left it, and uh, lo and behold, whatever gets you through the night. One. Two, three, four. You through the night, it's alright. 
Meanwhile, down in Nashville, Paul and Linda were taken downtown to the famous area known as Printer's Alley. They went to a club called Skull's Rainbow Room. I've got a tangled mind. I've got a broken heart. A young female acoustic guitar player named Diane Jeffney was playing. As Diane sang the Hank Snow hit, Tangled Mind, Paul started to write the lyrics to a song he titled Diane G. He renamed the tune the next day at the farm.
July in Tennessee, Paul, Linda, and Wings continue their stay at the Putnam Farm in Wilson County. Are you having a good time, Dan? Yeah, that's great. Right. McCartney's hosted many lakeside parties and barbecues on the farm. The Putnam family employed a housekeeper from the town of Lebanon. Her name was Tabitha Turner. The McCartney's hired Tabitha to work three to four days a week just to help with special events on the farm. Tabitha's daughter, Sally Palmer, assisted her mom on several occasions which provided Sally P to spend time and get to know Paul and Linda. Sally says, The day I went to work there, Paul was writing a song called Sally G, and he just laughed and said, What a coincidence, I'm writing a song called Sally G and your name is Sally P. Sally recalls a few stories held beside the Putnam's Lake, including a barbecue dinner with such Nashville musicians as Chet Atkins and Jerry Reed. She goes on to say that Paul always liked his barbecue chard.
During their many days in Tennessee, Paul and Linda, for fun, would go to the drive-in movies, attend shows visiting the Grand Old Opry, and saw a performance by Dolly Parton and Porter Wagner, eat Kentucky Fried Chicken, and ride motorbikes. Buddy Killen's son, Troy, had left a Honda XR75 motorcycle on the property, to which Paul loved to ride. He found it fun to ride this minicycle around the property, but wanted a bigger bike. One day Paul went into the town of Lebanon and purchased two 125 Honda bikes so he and Linda can ride. One evening, with Paul and Linda hosting a sing-along campfire and barbecue, country star Chet Atkins came over. Paul entertained Chet with a song called Walking in the Park with Eloise. He started the song by saying, Here's one that my dad wrote a long time ago. Walking in the Park with Eloise was written by Paul's father, James. Linda tells the story behind the song and how it came to be recorded. When Paul was a little boy, about 10, he remembers sitting at the foot of the piano while his dad was playing the song, and he started playing it. After Paul played the tune and reminisced at dinner, Chet suggested that the song should be recorded and that it would be nice for his dad. Later at Sound Shop Studios... So we got Chet playing on it and Floyd Kramer, the piano player, and we got together a nice little band called Country Hams with lots of Nashville people.
Paul later revealed that he gave it to his father, and his father was extremely touched by the gesture. He loved having his record out, but he's very shy, and he didn't like all the publicity. He was very emotional about it when I first played it to him. He said I really shouldn't have bothered, but I know he enjoyed it. And you know what? My Uncle Joe has now written some words to go with it. Meanwhile, in Sound Shop Studios... Throughout the first week of July, Wings rehearsed on the farm and in Sound Shop Studios. Paul's reasoning was to have this band strengthen their musical and personal relationships. According to studio engineer Ernie Winfrey, everyone in Wings got along very well, although Ernie also went on to remark about guitarist Jimmy McCulloch. He says, he was a great guitar player, but he was a world-class asshole. It was probably because Jimmy was drinking a lot at that time. Ernie said one session, Jimmy had a temper fit and threw a beer bottle at a glass window. Another incident was that Jimmy was pulled over and arrested for DUI, and Buddy Killen was pulled in to pull some strings with local authorities to get him out.
Paul takes a break from the Wings sessions in early July to help produce an album for singer Peggy Lee. Paul was first introduced to Miss Lee back in 1962 by his older cousin Elizabeth Danner. Elizabeth had a copy of Peggy Lee singing the Meredith Wilson pen song, Till There Was You. Paul and the Beatles added this tune to their stage repertoire and even recorded a studio version in 1963 for their With the Beatles album. on several occasions in the past, and in early June he was invited to her hotel suite in London for dinner. As the story goes, instead of bringing her a bottle of expensive wine or champagne, he brought her a song. So Paul worked on the production of the already recorded studio tracks for the song Let's Love at Sound Shop Studios. The song will be included into Peggy's new 14th studio album of the same name. Meanwhile, back in the UK at Henley throughout July, Harrison records at his brand new Friar Park Studios. A one, two, three, four. Got me all staked out But baby, looks like I've been stepping out I'm a dark horse Running on a dark race course Yes, I'm a blue moon Since I first stepped out of the moon I'll be in a cool jerk 
asking for the sauce I'm a dog horse Thought that you had got me in your grip But baby, looks like you was not so small I became too slippery for you But let me say that that was nothing new I'm a dog horse Running on a dog race course Yes, I'm a blue Picked up my broom I've been a cool jerk Looking for the sauce I'm a dark horse I thought You knew it all along Till you started getting mean all right Looks as if you heard a little late I warn you when we both was at the starting gate I'm a dog horse On a dark race course I'm a blue moon Since I stepped out of the womb I've been a cool jerk Looking for his perks I'm a dog George's voice is starting to sound worn. It may be because of the many stressful complications that was happening in his life, such as starting a new record company, battling the Beatles' legal suits, his production company, new business investments, considering a U.S. tour, his friends, but most of all, his marriage. Patty and George's marriage was getting to a crossroad. Though they kept their troubles private, speculation arose that their conflicts centered around George's strict Eastern religious beliefs, his inattention to Patty, and Patty's boredom. But there was an additional source of friction. 
Eric Clapton and George were the best of friends. Sometimes the two of them were together all the time. Founder and writer of Liverpool's Mersey Beat, Bill Harry. So it was while they had this friendship, Eric was falling in love with Patty. Frustrated by his unrequited love for his best friend's wife, Clapton did what most artists do. He expressed his feelings in his work. Standing at the crossroads, trying to read the signs, to tell me which way I should go to find the answer. And all the time I know, plant your love and let it
Finally, Eric Clapton straightens up and declares his love for Patty. As co-author of the Beatles book, The Love You Make, Stephen Gaines explains. Patty Harrison was the one who told me the story about discovering um, George in bed with Maureen. Patty's heartsick suitor, Eric Clapton, spent much of 1973 kicking his addiction to heroin. By 1974, he was free of the drug and ready to put his life in order. At a party one night, Clapton confronted George Harrison and told him he was in love with Patty. Harrison responded flippantly that Eric could have his wife if he could have Eric's girlfriend. Patty was furious and left the party. Patty eventually drifted over and took Eric's attentions, you know, seriously. And when the marriage deteriorated to a certain extent, she went over to America where um, Eric was touring and started sort of going with them. And so she moved in with Eric.
As Patty Boyd writes in her book, Wonderful Tonight, she told George she was leaving him. It was late at night, and she went into the studio and told him that they were leading a ludicrous and hateful life, and she was going to Los Angeles to stay with Jenny and Mick. When George came to bed, she could feel his sadness as he lay beside her. Don't go, he said. Half of me wanted to stay, according to Patty, to believe him, and he would make it better, but I was at the end of my tether. I was really, really thin. I just said I was going. The next day, with great sadness in her heart, she packed some of her things and said a tearful goodbye to Friar Park and then flew to America to join Eric on tour.
George was facing the sad reality without Patty. They both shared eight years together. Now it was all over. One, two, three. I want no trouble and you gotta find your own way Drunk all day, you can drink all night But I want no trouble and you gotta find your own way home There's a man over there and he's leaning on the bar By the way the fella's standing, I can tell he won't be going far Nobody cares, cause for all the bloody saying It's a shame I have to bother, but I gotta keep the place clean Meanwhile, back in Tennessee, Paul and Linda leave their Nashville summer holiday around July 14th. Right this time. 
rest of the band and their entourage leave Nashville three days later. Thank you. When Paul returns home, he wastes no time and commits to tape some two dozen song ideas on piano. Maybe I can meet you. Tell me where to meet you. I'll give you a ring. I'll take you to the pictures. Mississippi feature. These recordings will become known as the piano tape.
can be done. Sunday, July 14th. 11-year-old Julian visited his dad again and flies from England to visit John in New York. On Monday, July 15th, in New York, at the record plant, work continues with John recording a version of Move Over Miss L, a track originally written for Keith Moon of The Who. Okay, okay. Give me a little more tape in the, in the hand or more. A one, a two, a one, a two, three, four. John also wrote a song with his record plan engineer, Roy Chikala. The song is titled Incantation.
On July 16th, John and May Pang leave the St. Regis Hotel where they were staying and move to a small two-story apartment building at East 52nd Street in Manhattan. Paul and Linda fly to New York and visit John and May. They spend a few days reminiscing about the old days, according to John. Paul and Linda also briefly visited Yoko at Lennon's Dakota apartment. Being that John moved back to New York and had given up the drunken lifestyle, Paul wanted to see how she felt about a reconciliation with John. You don't know what you've got Until you lose it You don't know what you've got Until you lose it You don't know what you got Until you lose it Baby, baby, baby Give me one more chance Years later, Yoko told the Times, I wanted the world to know that it was a very touching thing that he did for John. As Yoko recounted, Paul and Linda visited her in New York in early 1974 and talked long into the night. Paul asked Yoko what would make her take John back and she told him that if John courted her, she perhaps would consider it. Paul then spoke to John about it. This all happened while John was out in L.A. Paul McCartney. Yeah, um, it's not anything I really put about. I mean, I talk to friends about it and stuff, but on interviews you don't want to go, hey! You don't. It's not what you do. But yeah, and, um, it, it was true. I'd been asked by Yoko, Linda and I were asked by Yoko, take a message to John, really, who was out in L.A. and was really going crazy. You think I was going crazy in Scotland, staying in bed and drinking. This was really crazy. This was L.A. crazy. And um, right up there, Harry Nielsen, who was a lovely, lovely boy, but, but uh, went to excess. Keith Moon, another lovely boy, but again went to excess. John, same kind of thing. And the whole team of them made, making this record in L.A., were fairly wacky guys. I'll see if he's interested. So took him in the back room like a sort of elder brother, almost. Sort of said, you know, I've got, I'm the go-between. Do you still love Yoko? Do you want to get back with her and stuff? He said, yeah. I said, well, here's how you do it. And just gave him what Yoko had said. He pretty much did it, which was good, you know, because uh, they were important to each other. I was glad to be able to help, you know, but I, I'm not trying to earn any medals.
On July 17th, the U.S. Immigration and Naturalization Service Board denied John's October 31, 1973, appeal against the deportation order that he leave America within 60 days. John is ordered by the Justice Department to leave the U.S. in 60 days. He hears the news in a cab and jokingly orders the cabbie to drive him to the airport to catch the next plane to Britain. 
every now and then I, I suddenly hear that I've got 30 days to get out of the country. Last time I was on the way to record plant, I was in a taxi, and the radio was on, I just heard it announced over the radio. So, being jocular, I said, drive me to the airport, Sam. <laughs> and uh, we were laughing about that, and uh, apparently the my lawyers hadn't told me because they didn't want to depress me in the middle of the album. But I, I got it over the airwaves instead. John files a further appeal. Coming up in a moment... John and his son Julian record together. So there was one drumstick on the side, and uh, I picked it up and tried keeping in time. <laughs> Paul plays with one hand clapping. And... Next on Yesterday and Today. Or to contact the show, visit yesterdayandtodaypodcast.wordpress.com or email at yesterdayandtodaypodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at yesterdaypod on Twitter and search Yesterday and Today Podcast on Facebook. See you next time. Paul Kaminsky. I'm James Kaminsky. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. And we bring you the Kaminsky family of podcasts Yesterday and Today and the Third Men podcast. You might know me from one of those dumb voices I do, or my dad (laughs) from his better show than ours. (laughs) Wow. And we're here to tell you about some cool merchandise you can pick up for the shows. As we mentioned in each episode, we do not in any way profit from these shows whatsoever, but to break even on some expenses, we have put up some cool merch that you can pick up to help support the show. Yes, some fun apparel, things you can put on yourself. Are we going to be selling Marks and Spence underwear? (laughs) Don't worry, we will. You can head to our social media pages, that's facebook.com slash yesterdayandtodaypodcast or facebook.com slash thirdmen or you could head to society Six dot com slash Kaminsky Family Podcast. That's society the number six dot com slash K-A-M-I-N-S-K-I Family Podcasts. Yeah. Keep our lights on. I'm in the dark. <laughs> Dad, any words of wisdom? Hello? The lights just went out. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we need your help. <laughs> Buy stuff. Perhaps a coffee mug that you can enjoy a beverage out of while listening to our shows. And if you haven't got yours, please send forth in and get a free one. All right. Thank you, Dad. All right, we'll see you on the podcast, folks. Bye. It's audio. You can't see me. Oh, for God's sake.